picture up on the screen, and it's going to remain for the entire message. What Rebecca prayed about having hope, and what Brooke sang about a God who is for you, and a God that is on your side. That's the face of a God. Am I coming over? Okay. That is the God that is on your side. That's the face of victory. So everything that we're going to talk about this morning starts and ends with that man, Jesus. And when I was given the task yesterday of filling in this morning, I went to God and I just said, God, what is on your heart for these people? And the thing that comes often and all the time is it's got to be about Jesus and it's got to be about what's on his heart towards you. Have any of you heard the saying, you read my mail? When a message is given or a prayer is prayed or something is on TV, you say, it says, if you read my mail. And that is where I started with God. He gave me that idea. So after the plow went through yesterday, I visited all of your homes, and I went in your mailboxes, and I took your mail. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And the bills I will be bringing back to you. And if, by chance, one of those envelopes is open, I didn't open it. It wasn't me. But there is somebody here who spends a lot of money on clothes, but it's somebody on that side. But anyway, so God allowed me to go through your mail. And I'm going to read your mail publicly. But I'm not going to share the name of who it is. And you're going to see a God that is going to reach down into your heart today. You're going to see a God who cares about every concern, every thought, every prayer, everything you can say and everything you can't say because you feel so overwhelmed. Last week when I led prayer, remember I had the thread and I had the rope where the enemy is trying to separate people. He's trying to get people to feel as if they're all alone in this world. They're overcome with so much stuff that's going on in their families, in their lives, in this nation, that they feel overwhelmed and they can't at times even can't find words anymore when they go to God because it's so heartfelt and they've come to him so many times they just don't know how to start it all over again. And the devil tries to get us to to think that we're all alone and that even he isn't even on our side. But all the songs that we sang this morning, it proves that God is on our side. And the face of that man behind me, Jesus, is the face of a God who's on your side. So I'm going to read your mail today. And tell me if any of this strikes a chord with any of you. I sorted out ten letters. Ten letters that you all read, wrote to God. Dear God, why can't I sleep at night? I toss and turn, trying to figure out what to do with my life. 
Why am I struggling to find my way? I think we could all relate to that, right? How many times have we gone through our life and thought, where do I go from here? And God, are you even aware of where I am? Another person wrote this. Dear God, why does the pain of my past keep following me? Why can't I seem to move on? I think all of us could relate to that person too. And still another person wrote, Dear God, Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted, but why does my heart still ache? When will this pain go away? Still another person wrote, Dear God, when will the pain of my body go away? I don't want to live with this sickness anymore. Please help me. Yet another person said, Dear God, can you use someone like me? If so, how will I know what you want me to do? Where do I begin? I think we've all prayed that, haven't we? We think this is just one person, but I think every single one of us could have written these letters. Dear God, why can't I seem to find victory in the thing I've been praying about for so many years? How many of us have been praying for things in our lives for years and years? And we seem to wonder, God, when is the answer? When is the breakthrough going to come? And sometimes we want to lose hope. Becca prayed, this is a time where God wants to give you hope. It starts out a little bit as though here are our problems. But I'm going to show you hope today. I'm going to give you something that shows you victory in your life. Dear God, why is my marriage suffering from one attack after another? How do I fix this? A couple more. You guys write a lot of letters. Dear God, why can't I seem to get through to my kids? They seem to want to rebel against everything I say. Will they ever come into a relationship with you as I have with you? God, why does the me I imagine or want to be, the me that's strong and bold, why do I get so scared and so timid when given an opportunity to speak up or to do something? When do I stop being afraid? The last letter.
This kind of strikes home with me. Dear God, are you mad at me? Are you disappointed in me? Or are you both? I think each one of us could go into our, our hearts and into our prayers. And every one of us probably has written a letter like that to God in a prayer form. And every one of us has felt the part time in our lives where we feel abandoned, where we feel as though I've gone so far in my life with this or with that, that God, how can you reach down and how can you fix this that's hurting inside of me? How can you make right what is so wrong? And each one of us strives and wants to be something good for God. They want to bring glory and honor into his name. But so many times we feel as though we're failures and we are our own worst critics. We come before God and we say, God, look at me. Look at what I have done. Look at what I've done wrong in my life. How can you use a man or a woman like me? And the devil causes us to go to one side and we, we huddle. You know, everybody handles that kind of pressure different. And some people just grow quiet. Some people go and spend a lot of money to try to, to get a, what, rid of the pain in their lives. They try to overcome it with something wonderful and fun to do. They go on a trip. They buy something expensive for themselves. And they're trying to ease the pain that's inside of them. But you're not unique. Over and over and over again, when I was studying for Passover and how to do something, I kept getting stuck at the Red Sea. Now, why can't they get past this Red Sea? Something is bothering me about this Red Sea experience. And I know what it is, according to the books that you read and and things like that, but there was something about the Red Sea experience that wasn't making sense to me. And every one of us goes through a Red Sea experience where the enemy is coming at you, but you've got your back toward a place you can't go, and you see no way out. And all of us find ourselves in that position in life. And I'm going to read you some stories, and just as I, wrote, I, I read the letters from you that showed the disappointment, the heartache, the seemingly hopelessness situation. I haven't read you the other side of it yet. And I'm going to do the same thing with these people. I'm only going to read one portion of it, as if it was their letter. Now, the children of Israel, they had just now been released from Egypt under the captivity through the last plague. And that was the death of the firstborn, and Passover had occurred. And they said, just Leave, leave our nation and go. And it was told to the king of Egypt and to the, that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariots and took the people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. And the Egyptians pursued after them, and all the horses and chariots, and Pharaoh and his horsemen, and the 
his army overtook them encamping by the sea side. And when Pharaoh drew near to the children of Israel, they lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were so afraid, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Where have you dealt us so with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, stop bothering us, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. How often have we said that or thought that in our hearts? Like, oh, it was better before. Why am I in this situation now? And now they're coming to destroy us. And they saw no way out. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up at once, for he had showed me his, all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came upon her and brought money to her. And she made him sleep, speaking of Samson, upon her knees. And she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And, they began, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you. And Samson arose from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as other times before, and I will shake myself. And he said, Don't you know that the Lord has departed from you? But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and, did grind, and he did grind wheat in the prison. He was a man who was serving God, and he was doing everything that he could. But he failed. And now he's got his eyes gouged out, and now he's milling wheat like a beast. Don't you think his heart was sunk and wondering, God, are you mad at me? Have I disappointed you? Don't you know that was upon his heart? Don't you know he cried? Don't you know that his heart just sunk knowing that he did something so terribly wrong. I think some of us could relate to that. And the word of the Lord came to him, said, Arise, speaking of Elijah. Arise and go to Zarephath, and behold, Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. So he arose and went to Zephrath, and when he had come to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering the sticks. And she called to her, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me also a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have not a, but a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go and dress it for me and for my son, that we may eat it and die. Well, there's a bad state of affairs for this woman. And Elijah said unto her, "Don't fear, but do as you have I have said. But make me, do as you have said. But make me a little cake first and bring it to me that I may eat it, and then you can make one for you and your son." 
For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall a cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to all that Elijah said to her. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which Elijah spoke. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I done to you, O man of God? Did you come to me to call my sin in remembrance and slay my son? Here she had a great victory, and now all of a sudden, sudden destruction. Out of all this abundance that God had given her, Suddenly, sudden destruction came and her son died. And she goes to the man of God, what have I done? Are you, it, has my sin now been brought on me and, the, and my son is dead because of my sin? And he said, go and spy where it is. See, the children of Syria, was, their battle plans when they were attacking Israel were being revealed to the king of Israel by the prophet Elisha. And so the king of Syria said, let's go get this guy because he's causing nothing but problems for us. Therefore send horses and chariots and great hosts that they come by night and compass the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen up and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant, which was Gehazi, said to Elisha, Look, master, what are we going to do? You see, here was this prophet Elisha, who had the battle plans of the Syrians, and he revealed it to the king. But now Syria had encompassed those two and ready to take them captive. And Gehazi wakes up before Elijah and looks all around that they are completely surrounded. How many times do you feel so surrounded in your life where you don't know which way to turn? You go to work and you got problems. You come home and you got problems. You go to the store and something happens there. Then you're driving your car and there's a breakdown. And you wonder, am I surrounded by problems? And we see no way out. Paul was being taken captive, had to go to Rome because the Jews didn't like what he was teaching. So they had him arrested, but he appealed unto Rome and he was being taken by ship to go and testify. And as they boarded the ship, this is what happens. And when the south wind blew softly, so they started out and everything was fine. They had a nice south, soft, wind supposing that they obtained their purpose losing thence the, the, they sailed close to Crete but not long after there arose a tempestuous wind and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind we let her drive and running under certain to a certain island which is called Clauda we had much work to come by the boat which they, had, which they had taken up, and they used helps undergirding the ship. 
And fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, they strake the sail, and so they were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day we lightened the ship. The third day we cast out with our own hands all the tackling of the ship. And when we saw neither sun nor stars for many days, and the appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope we should be saved was taken away. Rebecca prayed that we would have hope. But in this time in their lives, they felt as though all hope was gone. They're out at sea, being driven by a wind they couldn't control. How many things in your life you can't control? And their boat was turning every which way, going up and down. They haven't eaten in 14 days. They were weak physically, and they were weak emotionally. And they lost all strength and all hope, and they thought they were all going to perish. But that man behind me is your hope. That is the, vo- that is the face of a God who has brought hope to you, who has brought victory in the light of all of these things that we have read. But in one of your mailboxes, I found a really good letter. Because one of you wrote God a little while ago, and you got a response. And let me read you God's letter. When I read this letter to you, Always have that man, Jesus, looking at him. Dear, precious, and valued child of mine. How often do we want to hear that? How, if I stopped right there, that gives you such hope and such boldness. Takes away all of the thoughts that God's not for you, but just the way he addresses you. Dear precious and valued child of mine, I heard your question. I didn't just hear it with my ears. I felt it with my heart. In fact, I hear every question and concern you ever bring me, even the ones you can't seem to find words for. Every sleepless night, I have laid awake with you. When your heart breaks, mine breaks too. Every tear you've shed, I've shed twice. But the day will come, though, when neither one of us will have a tear come to our eyes except for the tears we both wipe due to the uncontrollable laughter. I know it's difficult sometimes finding hope or seeing a way out of your situation, especially in the world you're living. But remember, when my people were watching their captors racing toward them and their backs against the Red Sea, they felt as if all hope was gone. Some screamed in panic while others stood silent in shock unable to move. They grabbed hold of each other, thinking they would all die. But I made a way. Remember how Elijah ran in terror from Queen Jezebel. Threats from a woman whose status was far beneath my mighty prophet. Yet he fled in fear. But I reminded him of my great power when I tossed rocks around like toys with a great wind and with an earthquake I shook the very mountain he stood on and caused fire to swirl around him. But it was the still, quiet voice that I spoke calmly and personably 
by reassuring him that he wasn't the only prophet left. He wasn't alone. Remember how Abraham and Sarah thought they would live out their lives childless. I mean, who at their age would even wildly consider having children? Even after I promised Abraham that he and Sarah would have a child, one year came and left, and another came and left. And within those years, Sarah watched numerous women she knew giving birth and wishing in herself, why can't that be me? But at the, same, but at the time I chose, Sarah conceived, and the rest is history. Even Paul, a prisoner for my sake, was being taken by ship to testify of me. But a violent storm rose up to destroy his life and all those aboard that ship. The crew had not eaten for days and days. Their strength and hope of survival were fading. But I sent an angel to testify to Paul that no one aboard that ship would perish. I could go on and on of the story of Ruth who lost everyone and everything. But I sent a kinsman redeemer for her. Or Esther, whose position and favor before the king suddenly reversed the evil plans and destroy, to destroy my people. And don't forget David. His victories are legendary, but so also are his failures. But through it all, his heart remains soft and honest before me. And to this day, his most prized title is not king, but beloved of God. Lastly, Jonah. His heart could not understand my compassion for a rebellious people. But finally, through his complaining and rebellion, he said this, and this is where I want you today. He said, when I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. There's a lot you don't understand. But if you continue to trust me in the midst of all the uncertainties, struggles, and challenges, I will bring you through. Love, Dad. Jonah's words are the foundation of this message. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. You know, when everything has gone wrong, or you think or perceive that everything has gone wrong, He's saying that God works, you know, that even though we can't see it, he's working. Even though we can't perceive it, we, it's happening. He is on our side. He is for you. And this is the victory part of this. Because God is on your side. He is there for you. I want you to, if you do have your Bibles, I want you to follow along with some of these scriptures. It's Isaiah chapter 53. I apologize, I really don't have any notes, so I'm just going by scriptures. So I'm just going with what God had given me. Isaiah 53. This is probably my favorite part of the Bible. This is the part that I have relied on and leaned against so many times in my life. And you see it in his face. He is despised and rejected of man. A man of sorrows, pains, and afflictions, and acquainted with sicknesses and diseases. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. 
He's despised and we esteemed him not. How many times have you hid your face from God? I have. But God, I can't come before you. When I got that divorce, I hid from God. I hid from people. I didn't want him to look at me. And I didn't want other people to look at me. But he bore it. He bore that sin that moment for me. And for whatever happened in your life that makes you think and the devil comes against you and makes you think that you can't come before God and you can't look at him in his face. That is a lie because this is the man that paid. So surely he hath borne our griefs and sicknesses and carried our sorrows, our pains and afflictions. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Pastor Mike read some of these last week. giving thanks unto our Father, which has made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You have delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us in the kingdom of your dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the sins, even forgiveness of sins. And then that same book, chapter 2, verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That looks like a picture of a person who's defeated. And if I went through, like we did, and I I read through the stories where it seems as though all hope was lost, this is the picture where you would think all hope is lost for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God, is being beaten, he's being whipped, and he's about to be crucified. And don't you know that the principalities and powers of darkness thought that they had God defeated at that moment? They thought they were so close to victory. They thought that they were going to have total victory over God and over all of his creation. At that moment, they thought they were the winners. But the game wasn't over yet. The struggle was just beginning. And this is the face of a man who was struggling and fighting for you, for everything that you've ever gone through and everything that you bear in your life and every challenge and everything that you hope and dream that you're fighting for, this is the face of a God who's fighting for you. Ephesians 1, verse 19. I'm going to start in verse 16, though. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised her from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality power might and dominion in every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over the church gave him the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that fills all in all that is a conqueror and that conquer that victory is yours he gave it to you and so all the things that you're struggling with and all the things that you wrote in those letters that you're struggling with the victory is yours in jesus you are the victors over that hopelessness over that fear, over that sense of unworthiness, over the feeling that there's no hope for your family to be saved, over your marriage seeming to be crumbling at your feet, all those things that weigh us down, Jesus is the answer. Oh, yeah. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That is the face of a God who was touched with all of your weaknesses and with all of your sin. Everything was laid upon that man. And that is why we can come boldly Remember one of the last letters that I read was, God, are you mad at me? Are you disappointed in me? The God who goes to that extreme for you, the God that's not mad at you, the God that wants to hold you and take you into himself and to wrap his arms around you and tell you that everything is going to be okay. And that you are okay. I've redeemed you from everything that you've done. And that there is victory. And that all principalities, mights and domains, all of, the, all of the enemies' powers are under his feet. And if we are in him, all those things are under our feet as well. We are the victors. The last one I'm going to read to you is Romans chapter 8. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. And when I read this, I want you to just have that image of Jesus burning in your mind. So now, the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus. The anointed one for the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death for God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature yet God sent us his son in human form to identify with the human weakness clothed with humility God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one, living his life in us. 
And we are free to live, not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves, but those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. But now Christ lives His life in you. And even though your, your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, His life-giving Spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Oh, boy. What a nice thought, huh? Be accepted by Him. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's Spirit of, of resurrection lives in you, He will also raise your dying body to life by the same Spirit that breathes life into you. So then, beloved, the flesh has no claims on us at all. And we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste His abundant life. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into fear of never being good enough but you have received the spirit of full acceptance. You see, you don't have to worry about being good enough. You've been accepted. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. You will never feel alone. For as he raises up within us our spirits, joined him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers in our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all of his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him Providing what we accept, provided we accept his sufferings as our own. I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Did you know that the universe was waiting for you? that it's looking on tiptoes, waiting for you to receive all that Jesus provided for you? Did you realize that? That everything is groaning, waiting for that day to approach. For against, the, for against its will, the universe itself had to endure the empty futility 
resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, eagerly, expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay, to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and the groaning of creation as if it were the contradictions, contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies, being transformed. For this is the hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what we yet what is yet to be seen we patiently keep waiting for its fulfillment and in a similar way the holy spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weaknesses for example at times we don't even know how to pray or how the best things to ask for but the holy spirit rises within us to supersede on our behalf pleading to god with emotional sighs too deep for words how many times have you gone to God and you sit in a room quiet and you don't know what to say and how to say it. But the Holy Spirit does and he goes on your behalf and he's pleading on your behalf. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desire of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan. Oh, isn't that a nice thought? For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among the vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. So what does this all mean? If God is determined to stand with us, remember we sang, if God is for us, if he determined to stand with us, Tell me, who could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty who then is left to condemn us certainly not jesus the anointed one for he gave his life for us and even more than that he has conquered death and is now risen exalted and enthroned by god at his own right hand so how could he possibly condemn since he is continually praying for our triumph who could ever separate us from the endless love of god's anointed one absolutely no one for nothing in this universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, or problems are unable to come between us and, heaven, and heaven's love. 
What about persecutions, dangers, death, or threats? Nope, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though, though it's written, all day long we face death threats for your, for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet even in the midst of all of these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and to his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in this universe, the power to separate us from the God's love. I am convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord and Savior, the Anointed One. So every letter that you wrote to God and every prayer you prayed, wondering, you don't need to wonder anymore. God's word is truth. And he just said, you're accepted. You're forgiven. And you're living under the victory of his son, Jesus. And there is nothing. There is no circumstance. There is no heartache. There is no pressure in your life, at work, your finances, your family. There is no co-worker. There is no bad neighbor. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love for you and the position that he's called you to. So it started out as though oh, we got problems. But he is our answer. And so this is our victory today. Our victory is Jesus. So please join me in prayer this morning. Lord God, we give honor and glory to you, thanking you for your loving kindness and your testimonies. We thank you so much that in every instance, whether it was Daniel facing a lion or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about to be thrown into a fiery furnace, you were there in every situation and circumstance and you brought them through and so you will bring us through. No matter what we face, we are overcomers. Thank you, Lord God, for your victory. And thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. And never forget, you are not alone. You are not just a single thread. You've been woven and braided into a rope, the body of Christ. And we are secure in him. I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come and close out the service, but there are some people that I asked before the service to come up too. And if you need prayer, if one of those letters was yours, or if you identify with one of those letters, and you just need God to just touch you this morning, if you need maybe just a hug or a hand held by somebody up here who has also faced things in their lives, but they also know a loving and compassionate Savior, and you just need somebody to talk to or to pray with, there are some very loving people that are going to be up here, 
that are full of faith and allow them to just minister to you this morning. Pastor Mike. Let's stand together. Our God is a God of victory. He is a God who has accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. He has won the victory and it is ours. Amen. Amen. Put your hand in your heart this morning. I love to do this because it's so fun to know that when we say this, God blesses. He moves in your behalf. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.